Hello, and welcome to Cinema Sunday. I am your host, Candy Thomas. And normally, I watch one of the 95 movies that have won an Oscar for Best Picture and tell you exactly what I think of them. But it's Christmas, so this week, you're getting a bonus episode. I follow the same template each week, even when it's a bonus episode. So if you're new to the podcast, here's how it works. I tell you all the basic details of the movie, things like who's in it and what's it all about, and of course, where you can stream it if you want to watch it. I also answer three questions. Does it stand the test of time? Is it Oscar worthy? And should you watch it? Or is it less painful to stub your toe on the coffee table? Just as a friendly warning, I like to give my honest assessment of these movies and sometimes go off on tangents about current events. I like to rant about the things that irritate me, and I always seem to mix it with a heaping dose of adult language. Please be sure you listen with caution. Before we begin, I would like to thank Wikipedia and IMDb, as they are great sources of information for all things movie and Oscar-related. So with that, let's take it away. This week's bonus film is While You Were Sleeping. It was released April 21st of 1995. It's directed by John Turtletaub. It stars Sandra Bullock, Bill Pullman, and Peter Gallagher. It was nominated for a total of zero Oscars, and it won zero. It's okay. It's a bonus movie. Who cares if the Academy voters liked it or not? I like it, which is why I'm covering it. Sandra Bullock was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. Despite such little award recognition, it was a critical and commercial success, grossing over $182 million at the box office with just a $17 million budget. And that was pretty big box office haul for 30 years ago. If you want to watch it, you can stream it on Disney Plus for free if you have a subscription. Otherwise, you'll also find it for $3.99 on Amazon Prime Video, Vudu, and Apple TV. Now, I know there's often controversy surrounding what qualifies as a Christmas movie, so I'm going to revisit the qualifications I used when I selected last year's bonus film to ensure this one follows suit. The events in the movie should take place on or around Christmas Day. Check. It would include some sort of holiday get-together, maybe a dinner party, office party, or cocktail party with friends or family members. Check. There would be visual representations of Christmas, so maybe a decorated Christmas tree, or wreaths, or tinsel, or other decor. Check. People would be wishing each other a Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. Check. There are signs of gift-giving, so we're going to see someone bringing a gift to someone else, wrapping gifts, or placing presents under the tree. Check. There are children and mentions of Santa Claus. Mm, check and check, but barely. At least one person is wearing some sort of holiday attire, whether it's a Santa hat, an ugly Christmas sweater, maybe a holiday tie. Check. While You Were Sleeping is number 29 on the list of the top 100 greatest Christmas movies, which is a list prepared by the good folks at Rotten Tomatoes. 
it was slightly lower on the list than other often debated movies like Die Hard, The Apartment, which I covered on this podcast a few weeks ago, Trading Places, and Edward Scissorhands. Yes, those are all considered to be Christmas movies, even though Christmas may be the last thing we think of when they are mentioned. And all of them rate higher on the list than many classic Christmas movies like White Christmas, The Santa Claus, Home Alone, Scrooged, and Frosty the Snowman. So what is it about? This is a story about Lucy Eleanor Moderatz, who's played by Sandra Bullock. Lucy is a single woman living in Chicago. She has no family, her parents are both deceased, and she doesn't have a big circle of friends outside of the people she knows from work. She works for the Chicago Transit Authority. She's a fare collector for their elevated train system. If you were a younger listener, you might not remember a time before you scanned a card and an electronic gate opened so you could board the trains. There used to be real-life people in a glass booth that you handed your token to before you could board. Oh, the good old days. And this is a perfect premise, because it is while she's working in this toll booth every day that Lucy gets to see Peter Callahan. He's a wealthy, well-dressed businessman who catches the train at her station each morning. And Lucy has fallen in love with this kind but aloof stranger without ever having had a single conversation with him. He's played by Peter Gallagher. But that is somewhat irrelevant because he spends the bulk of the movie in a coma anyway. And why is he in a coma? Well, let me tell you. On Christmas morning, which is a day Lucy hadn't planned on working, but because all of her coworkers have families, she is told she has drawn the proverbial short straw and is required to work. Anyway, it's a ghost town. There is no one taking the L into downtown Chicago on a Christmas morning, except Peter Callahan. He pays his toll and pleasantly wishes Lucy a Merry Christmas before heading to the platform. But then Lucy witnesses a couple of guys mugging Peter up on the platform. While trying to defend himself, Peter is shoved onto the train track, where he lies unconscious and helpless. And of course, there's a train coming. So Lucy jumps into action. She manages to jump onto the track and roll Peter to safety. He's rushed to the hospital, quickly undergoes surgery, but he will remain in a coma for several days. So this is when everything flips upside down. When she arrives at the hospital to check up on him, Lucy is mistaken as Peter's fiance. And is there plenty of opportunity for her to correct the misunderstanding? Yes. Yes, there is. She could have very easily have said, whoa, 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 time out. I do not know this man. I am not his fiance. You all have it wrong. I just work at the Transit Authority. But then the movie would be over. It also doesn't work in Lucy's favor to tell the truth, at least not in the beginning. The whole purpose of her going to the hospital was to see him, and she can't get in unless she's family. So in Lucy's mind, this is just a quick means to an end. What could possibly go wrong? Enter Peter's family. And wow, are they a mixed bag of nuts. Peter's parents, Ox and Midge, sorry, I just love those names, are played by Peter Boyle, who you probably remember from Everybody Loves Raymond. He's the ultimate comedic patriarch. And Nicole Mercurio. They are perfectly cast as the kind, charming, typical Midwestern parents. 
There's the elderly grandmother named Elsie, who is played by Glennis Johns, and Ox's best friend, Saul, who also happens to be Peter's godfather. He's played by Jack Warden. There's also Peter's younger sister, Mary. And there's a pretty big age gap here because Mary is still a teenager. She's played by Monica Kina. And this collection of people in a room together, even under the calmest of situations, are still going to be an F5 tornado of personality and argumentativeness, if that's even a word. What I'm trying to say is that they can be a somewhat chaotic collection of people, especially when they find out on Christmas morning that their eldest son was nearly killed in a freak accident. The Callahans are told Peter's life was saved by his quick-thinking fiance, And they're like, wait, what? What? Who? Again, Lucy has a brief chance to set the record straight, but the Callahans have already wrapped their arms around her in celebration. It's so nice to meet you. Welcome to the family. Peter didn't tell us. Congratulations, blah, blah, blah. So now the lie has taken on a life of its own, and there's no going back for Lucy. There are benefits to both sides. Lucy is lonely and without family, and the Callahans are rolling out the red carpet for her. In fact, they insist that she comes to their house later that night for Christmas dinner. So this gives her the warmth and comfort of family that she hasn't had in a while. Simultaneously, the Callahans don't know what will become of Peter. They don't know at this point how serious it all is, and in their mind, Lucy is the one true connection they have to Peter during this difficult time. And never mind that Grandma Elsie has heart problems, and Lucy starts to worry that the truth will kill her. The only person who knows the truth is Saul. He is within earshot during a quiet moment Lucy spends in the hospital with Peter, during which she tells the comatose man all about the misunderstanding. Saul tells Lucy he knows the truth, and together they decide the Callahans need to be told. But the timing is key. They want to find the exact right time to spring it on them. And Saul insists he's the one who tells them. But there's still another piece to this wacky puzzle. And it's Jack. Jack is Peter's brother, and he's played by Bill Pullman. Out of everyone in the family, Jack seems to have been the one who remained in the closest contact with Peter, and knew the most details of his life. Jack is a bit skeptical when first meeting Lucy, because he knows Peter is far more likely to date rich, successful, corporate-minded, power-suit-wearing women, rather than someone like Lucy. And let's just rip off the Band-Aid right away. From the minute these two are on screen together, you know it's love at first sight. They feel an instant connection. There's no denying how attracted they are to each other. But because Lucy's little lie has festered, they are stuck in the future in-law zone, which sucks terribly for both of them. Now, before I get too far into the story of Lucy and Jack, I need to make a slight detour and tell you about Joe Fusco Jr. Joe Jr. is the son of Lucy's landlord and is a very persistent man when it comes to his feeble attempts to woo Lucy into a romantic scenario. Joe is nothing close to the type of man Lucy longs to be with. And although he's ultimately completely harmless, his over-the-top flirting and poorly timed visits to her apartment cause comedic disturbances in Lucy's life. At one point, Jack visits Lucy's apartment building and runs into Joe Jr., who introduces himself to Jack 
as Lucy's boyfriend. So you can see how this hapless neighbor with an insatiable crush manages to complicate the story much more than it should have been. But now Jack is wildly suspicious of Lucy. He believes Joe Jr. is her boyfriend and that she's somehow conning Peter and the rest of the family right along with them. Something is telling him that she's not Peter's type and he's peppering Lucy with questions. Well, where did you meet? How did you start dating? And he eventually moves to tougher questions. What is Peter's favorite baseball team? Who is his favorite Mark's brother? Favorite flavor of ice cream? And why does Joe Jr. think he's your boyfriend? But Lucy manages to answer his questions well enough to convince the entire family she's the real deal. Jack is later sent to Lucy's apartment with an engagement present from the Callahans, which turns out to be a large piece of furniture, and she insists they should bring it to Peter's house instead. This allows them to spend more time getting to know each other, especially when there ends up being transportation issues and the two of them end up walking a long distance back to Lucy's apartment. After spending more time with her, Jack is clearly warming up to Lucy. And it's mutual. Lucy is falling for Jack as well, but neither of them can admit their feelings. Jack doesn't want to look like a shithead moving in on his brother's fiance, And Lucy is afraid the whole family, including Jack, will hate her if they find out she's been lying this entire time. Lucy keeps pestering Saul to tell them the truth. The longer this goes, the worse off it is for her. She needs Peter's family to know what actually happened, but Saul still hasn't found the right time to tell them. But wait, (laughs) there are so many more twists and turns to come. First, Mary Callahan, Peter's little sister, tells the family she heard that Lucy is pregnant. We also find out that Peter already has a girlfriend, a woman named Ashley Barton Bacon, who has been on vacation in Portugal, but has returned to find Peter missing from his apartment, and she has no idea what's been going on. Jack confronts Lucy about the pregnancy, and unfortunately, it goes much worse than expected because he chooses to do it in front of her co-workers at a New Year's Eve party. So now she's getting pretty pissed at him. He's been questioning her intentions from the very beginning. And now he's making it seem like her being pregnant is the only reason Peter would want to marry her. Jack confesses to Lucy that it just doesn't make much sense for her to be with Peter. She's much more his type. And at this moment, you're thinking, damn, I want these two to be together. Like, I actually thought for a minute, can we just kill off Peter? I mean, not in a brutal way, but can we just have him not wake up? Can someone just pull the plug? Like, this is the length I'm willing to go to so these two can be together. I mean, come on, it's meant to be. But it's not meant to be, because that very same night, Peter wakes up from his coma. Everyone rushes to the hospital to see him. He's so pleased to see his family all surrounding his bed. But when he looks at Lucy, he can't help but ask, who are you? Both Lucy and Saul take a deep breath. The shit is about to hit the fan. But then Ox speaks up and you know Peter Boyle has that perfect deadpan look on his face. And he says, oh my God, he has amnesia. (laughs) So it just keeps getting better, right? Now Peter is awake and he most certainly does not have amnesia. He can rattle off all kinds of random facts about himself, including his social security number and his eighth grade locker combination. 
His mom and sister are like, but you have to remember Lucy. You love her. And Lucy is begging Saul to please say something. This has gotten way out of hand, and everything is about to come crashing down. Jack drives Lucy home from the hospital, and they discuss how things will be different going forward. Jack thinks it's because Peter is awake, and he and Lucy will begin the next stage of their life together. He's miserable about it, but realizes at least Lucy won't be alone anymore. But Lucy is miserable for a different reason. Everyone is going to figure out that Peter was never her fiancé, and the Callahans will never want to be near her again. Saul privately meets with Peter, but he doesn't tell him the truth. In fact, he convinces Peter that Lucy would be the best thing to ever happen to him. His life would be meaningless without Lucy. She saved his life. She's his guardian angel, and they belong together. Saul tells Peter to spend some time with her, and if he doesn't see in Lucy what everyone else sees, then he can just break up with her. But if there's even the slightest chance that he could fall in love with her, well, then he'd be a fool not to propose to her again. Oh yeah, this just keeps getting more twisted. Lucy and Peter finally have what is their first real conversation with each other, and it goes so much better than he anticipated. Afterward, Peter tells Jack he's reborn. Lucy is just what he needs. He can't remember her, but she's got to be special because he wouldn't have been with her if she wasn't, and he can spend the rest of his life finding out just what she's like. The very next day, Peter proposes to Lucy for a second time, which is really the first time. And despite the fact that she's really in love with his brother, she says yes to Peter. In Lucy's mind, Jack doesn't want her. And marrying Peter is a very good consolation prize. He's rich, smart, good looking. He's a lawyer and he wants to marry her. And it means she'll never be alone again. Now, I'm not sure what the hurry is, but for some reason, they decide to have the wedding in the church chapel the next day. Lucy is at home trying on dresses when Jack stops by one final time. He has a present for her, and they have a meaningful exchange that ends with Lucy asking Jack point blank, do you have any reason why I shouldn't marry Peter? But Jack can't manage to give her one. At the wedding the next day, Lucy finally decides to come clean. I won't give you all the details, but there's a confession, and then a second confession, And then Ashley Barton Bacon crashes in to announce that Peter is really her fiancé. As the place erupts in chaos, Lucy quietly slips out and assumes she will never hear from the Callahan family again. So we're all pleasantly surprised when the entire family shows up at Lucy's toll booth the next day. Jack says he has something he needs to ask her. And well, you already know, they live happily ever after. Question one, does while you were sleeping stand the test of time? 100% yes. There's an entire collection of 1990s romantic comedies that are timeless classics, and you'd be completely justified in watching any of them over and over again. Along with while you were sleeping, there's Sleepless in Seattle, Notting Hill, You've Got Mail, Runaway Bride. There are so many that have the same theme. Two people are meant to be together. You just know it in your bones. But there are a million obstacles standing in their way. You can't wait to get to the end because you so badly want them to be together. We know today there would be much greater security at the hospital 
and increased scrutiny whenever anyone claims to be the fiancé of a rich man in a coma. But it needs to be far-fetched in order for the story to work. It's also romantically clumsy and cute. You'll forget it defies logic. Question two, is it Oscar-worthy? Well, no, (laughs) it's adorable and it's one of my favorites, but this is not an Oscar-quality movie. Sandra Bullock's only real big hit at the time was Speed, so this is the first time she'd ever headlined a big movie, and she landed the plane perfectly. She will go on to prove this genre is one of her comfort zones, with future rom-com hits like Miss Congeniality, Two Weeks Notice, The Proposal, and The Lost City. One critic also mentioned that Sandra Bullock was able to do something that no other actress had done up until that point. She helped to make Bill Pullman be seen as a sexy, desirable leading man. Before this movie, he'd done a number of other romantic comedies, but he was often cast as the third wheel, the nerdy guy who loses the girl in the end to the much cooler, more confident leading man. This was truly the moment he turned the corner. Bill Pullman is now 70 years old, but if you're looking for the next new cute guy next door type, his son Lewis is now on the scene. He was in the latest Top Gun movie and recently starred in the show Lessons in Chemistry on Apple TV. If you are at all interested in next-gen Pullman hotness, he could be your next crush. Question three, should you watch it? Yes, it is every bit as delightful today as the day it first came out. It's well-written with just the right amount of character depth. It's just nice to watch a movie where everyone is nice to each other, It's also innocent and kind. You feel like you want to be friends with this family, and you can see why it's so appealing for Lucy to be accepted by them. And it has the exact type of ending you would want it to have. It's also a tribute to the city of Chicago. I happen to love Chicago, and it's great to see all of the recognizable buildings and parks and museums all lit up with the holiday lights. Go back and watch this if you haven't seen it in a while. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. This has been a bonus episode of Cinema Sunday. I'll be back next week to discuss another Oscar-winning film. Please tell your friends about this podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can like, follow, subscribe, and even post a review. That helps get Cinema Sunday heard by a wider audience. If you have a comment, a correction, or just want to tell me that I have shit taste, you can email me at cinemasunday at yahoo.com. The music for Cinema Sunday is appropriately titled So Happy. It is by Scott Holmes Music. I got it off of freemusicarchives.org. And the work is licensed under Creative Commons by NC 4.0. Links are provided in the bio. And if you happen to visit the Free Music Archive, they do take donations. So please be generous. Thanks and see you next week.